Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. All right, it's good to see all of you this evening. You have a Bible. Um, don't turn to Hebrews. We are taking a break from the book of Hebrews. I'm sorry. I see Faith already had it titled. Or are you already going Hebrews 11? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's uh, in a few weeks. Um, we're going to be taking a break this evening to do a, I don't even know if it's fair to call this a sermon. Um, it's going to be part sermon, part workshop, part prayer meeting, part uh, kind of just a moment for all of us to recalibrate, reconsider our lives in light of what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus. And so I want us to slow down tonight and consider the idea of ministry. What are we doing? What's the point? Why are we doing what we do? And if we're going to be faithful as a mission on our campus and in our city, we must, if you're a Christian, you know this already, we must be people who are proclaiming the good news of the gospel in a word that is called evangelism. And so tonight, we're going to be talking a lot about that idea, evangelism. So we need to be people who are proclaiming the good news as we live lives of faithfulness, love, and service as an overflow of our worship and love for God. And I already mentioned, I don't know if we're going to call this a sermon. Therefore, uh, I will say, though, I will be preaching because I don't know that I can really help it as we get to some of these texts. But my aim tonight is just for us to consider the call of the follower of Christ as it pertains to our mission, and especially now in your context of being on campus. And so... A lot of scripture tonight. No, it's not our usual way to kind of just work through one passage. I'm going to give you quite a few things. I'm going to give you some, um, some really good takeaways, hopefully, that you can kind of think about and use in your own life as you process um, your call to evangelism. But most of all, um, I really just want us to get real tonight with our lives. Um, I think every once in a while, God in his mercy allows us to feel the brevity, the fragility of life, and realize how much mercy it really is that we're even able to be in his kingdom and be a part of his mission. And so I want to be honest with you, um, even as I'm prepping for a message like this, it's easy for me to feel weak, um, like a little child <laughs> in evangelism. Um, I preach it a lot, I preach the gospel on Tuesdays, and I think I talk about the gospel, but if I looked at the track record of my life, it's really easy for me to be someone who is gospel-ish, but not a proclaimer in conversation with the people that I claim that I love. And I can confess, it's been, even my life this semester, it's so easy, maybe you can resonate, to let the busyness of ministry slowly drift you away from actually doing the work of ministry. It's easy to do. Um, even if you're not the one that comes up here and speaks on a Tuesday, it's easy for you, I'm sure, 
to boil down your walk with Christ to showing up at the right things, praying the right prayers, reading the right books, saying the right things, going to the right groups, and forgetting that there's a call on all of us to proclaim the gospel. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a Christian in this room, you have been remade for this. This is what God saved you for, primarily for his glory, but to be a reflection of him, a proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. And so I'm going to stop now and just pray. Um, And I really want to beg you um, to not kind of tune out. Um, I know it's easy when it's like prayer time and it's a little bit brighter in here, but still a little bit dark uh, on these lights. Um, They are a little brighter, though. We're thankful for that. Um, It's going to be easy for you to tune out and to not allow this uh, to sit on you. And so as I'm praying, I want you to ask God, who are the people in your life right now that don't know Jesus? Um, If God put you in their life, undoubtedly it's for the purpose to proclaim the gospel to them. And so we're going to pray toward that end now um, before we get started. So if you you would, pray with me. Uh, Father, we ask now that you would use your word You would use this time of meditating on the implications of the gospel for our lives to change the trajectory of our personal ministries. God, please do not let us settle into becoming an event every week that we just invite people to, but that we would die to ourselves, open our mouths, Open our hearts, our lives to people who desperately need to know what Jesus has done. And so, God, I know that I can't motivate, I can't, uh, can't work up our own willpower to become these types of men and women, but your spirit can do it. And so, God, we're asking uh, that you would do that in us tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to give you some text first to kind of frame this. The first one is this. should be on the screen behind me. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15, okay? So you can turn there in your Bibles, but I'm kind of going to bounce around a bit. Um, Towards the end, we're going to land in Mark 2. So if you want to turn there and you know that we'll eventually get there, that's fine. But I want you to have these texts in front of you to frame this. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Man, a few notes on this, just to continue to frame this. First thing I want you to notice is look what people filled with the Spirit of God do. Verse 13 Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, what happens? We also believe and so we speak. So something you need to reckon with is that it's a biblical flow in your life, that if you are a person who believes the gospel, what that should do in you is that you speak the gospel. Got to pause and sit with that. We will say what we believe, and it seems, biblically speaking, that people who have been ravished by this good news that truly believe we've gone from death to life, you can't help but be able to proclaim it. It's one thing. Next thing I want you to see in verse 15, the end result is more glory to God. You see that? For it's all for your sake, so they're wanting to reach these people, 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So another truth for you in your personal ministry. The only sustainable foundational motivation for our life mission is the glory of God. Um, You will not continue and persevere with difficult people, continuing to love them and share the gospel with them if you're in it to glorify yourself. So it's worth it to consider ministry motivations. Um, Is it ministry pride? Is it I want to be the person that reaches these people or I just want to show someone that they're wrong or I just want to be the person who you know, says true things. Or it also can be guilty obligation. You can imagine if we had those types of internal motivations and you're getting ready to proclaim the gospel to someone, if they were able to hear your heart and you were like, well, listen, I don't really want to share this with you. Honestly, I'm a little afraid that you might be uncomfortable, but I'm supposed to. So here it goes, if you want to believe it. Think about that. That's the opposite of what the gospel does in a heart. We need to be people who are thinking, I want on campus to see grace extend to more and more people in your classrooms, in your friend groups, in the clubs that you are in, the people that you intersect with, your teams, whatever you're a part of. We want to see God's grace extend so that God is glorified. Have you considered Marshall in this way? That there are people on our campus that God made that he deserves worship from? He does. And in that should turn us to think, man, my life is to glorify God. I want him glorified by more people. And I am going to give the grace as it extends to more and more people so that it results in thanksgiving and the glory of God. So maybe you have different motivations, but I want you to always consider the main motivation for this is the glory of God. And so just want you to ask, as we're considering this, especially verse 15, is this what you want to see on our campus? Have we become indifferent to this? When you read verse 15, do you start to see people in your life, that person in your class that you know doesn't know the Lord, the person that you live with in your dorm, etc.? Does it move you to think, I want them to glorify God with their lives, and I've got the news of grace that can change their hearts? So, why would Paul the Apostle, who wrote 2 Corinthians, why would he write this to a church? Answer, he is continuing and pushing them toward the mission that Jesus gave his first set of disciples when he was leaving them with their mission in the world. And subsequently, that is our mission as well. So look at Matthew 28. Um, should, once again, it will be on the screen behind me. If you have been around this ministry enough, I hope you have heard this and considered this, but maybe this is new if you're newer to the Bible. This is what um, people call the Great Commission, okay? It's giving us our marching orders as the people of God. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's the command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of you need to hear that, and the, the phrase of all nations should be jumping off at you right now. There are some of you that are faithful, maturing followers of Christ that need to consider that maybe God does not want you to stay in America. He wants to send you to the nations to proclaim the gospel. 
But even if that's not you, all of us need to proclaim the gospel in the nation that we find ourselves in. But notice, there's a promise here, right at the end. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's all authority is given to Jesus, there's your marching orders, and oh yeah, also the one who has all authority is with us until the end of the age. Here's what I'm afraid of. As we hear this, and as you think about the fact that Jesus is with you, if you're a follower of Christ, by his Holy Spirit and dwelling in you. If we're honest, we live lives sometimes of distraction and boredom. And it doesn't really make sense. We don't really feel like we need him to be with us. So you're like, well, if the extent of my Christian life is just showing up to the right things and praying before meals and not really caring that much about anybody else except for me, the promise of I'm with you always doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It just doesn't. But if we take all of this seriously and see he has all authority, he's telling us to go as his followers, live lives on mission, every single person wanting to gospel, every single person in sight, loving, sacrificing our time, energy, and effort to see them come to know Jesus, then you're going to need him with you. And so, pretty clear here, it says go make disciples, and then it says to baptize them, and then it says to teach them. So it's pretty personal ministry for us is laid out. So if you're taking notes here, um, there's a combination of several resources at play here. If you want some more on this, on personal ministry, on our mission, I'd love to share the ones that influence this message. But it's pretty clear. As followers of Christ, what we do is we go and evangelize people who do not know Jesus. So what does that word evangelize mean? Here's a technical definition that I think is helpful. This is it. To proclaim the gospel with the aim of persuading someone to respond in belief in Christ and repentance from their sin. I'm going to say it again. To proclaim the gospel with the aim of persuading someone to respond in belief in Christ and repentance from sin. Here's what I run into. Maybe you can relate. I think often our, our gospel conversations are just gospel light conversations, meaning our goal is not necessarily to proclaim. It's not necessarily trying to persuade. It's very much like, I just kind of want to share this with you as an option of a belief that I have, and our goal is really to let that conversation happen and for them to leave us and not think we're one of those Christians. Can you resonate? It's easy to think. I want to have these gospel encounters, and my main goal is to, yeah, be faithful and share the gospel, but we don't go as far to say, what I'm telling you is the truth. The response to this is eternal consequences. It's not just an option of another worldview that I like and you should consider liking Got to be honest with ourselves. It's easy to go there, isn't it? Especially on a college campus. There's so many worldviews swirling around. You're afraid of, oh gosh, are they going to think I'm like that person? Or that because I believe this, that I must hate this or whatever, whatever temptations you find. It's so easy to boil down evangelism to sharing a worldview option rather than proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We have to get there. Are we going to be people? Man, don't you dream of that? I love the thought of the people connected to this church and this ministry. We can't help but make sure people know the good news of the gospel if they're around us. Don't you want that reputation? Man, if you're talking to us, you're going to hear the good news. 
Not in a, man, we hate you and beat someone over the head with the good news of grace. That makes no sense. But because we believe this, it doesn't make sense to not proclaim it. And it shouldn't make sense in our lives. It shouldn't make sense in my life. Go and make disciples. That's evangelize. And then, what do you see? It says we baptize them. Now, biblically speaking, this idea of baptizing would have been to identify them in the body of Christ or the church. And so you already know, anytime there's a chance that I can say church, you already know where I'm going with this, right? The point is not to build a campus ministry. The point is for you to follow Jesus as a part of his local church. Why, though? Why do I keep saying that? It's because I just really want you to wear an HCC t-shirt? No. Also, I'm not sure if we have any available. So even if we had one. I think they have existed before, but I think it was for our softball team. And so, which we also don't have anymore. So you can wear mine, though. I really don't wear clothes with logos. Um, So if you want an XL HCC t-shirt, come find me afterwards. Here's the idea, though. When we're making disciples and evangelizing and baptizing them, we're helping people identify with the body of Christ. The church is a kingdom outpost, but it's not just a kingdom outpost in our campus and in our city. It is also an arena for ministry. You understand this? You're not a lone lone ranger Christian. You can't just say, I'm on team Jesus and here I go. It's, I'm on team Jesus and because I follow Jesus, I'm a part of his body and his body is expressed in local churches And it's not just how you identify, how you do the one another commands, how you live your life. It is an expression of the kingdom, and it's an arena for ministry. Don't you love that? Isn't that better than it's all on you? You should love that. When you see baptized, it's not just, you know, hey, you should follow Jesus, and then you walk them over to the fountain and dunk them. Don't do that, okay? The idea is intricately tied to the local church So I'm begging you, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, see that, know that, cherish that. Listen, there's a time when you are going to leave Marshall. The comforts of campus ministry will be over. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be a member of a local church somewhere in some city where you work. Crucial. And then, baptize, and then we teach them. So this is where we get the idea of discipleship. Um, Notice, though, it doesn't say... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then put them in groups of three to five that meet once a week. Now, I love D groups, all right? Love my discipleship group. But I don't want you to just think, boil this down to a checkbox of a group that you make. What we're talking about with discipleship is the slow, sometimes painful, always needing endurance process of putting your life on somebody else to show them how to obey God in all of their lives. That's the call. So if you're a Christian in this room, we want you discipled. If you have no one in your life that has ever said, come with me, let's follow Jesus together, I want to love you and show you how to do this, you need that. The guy who discipled me originally um, from like 2011, 2013, we still talk on the phone almost every weekday to this day. We call each other in the morning on our way to the office. Um, Now, discipleship looks a little different. He lives five hours away now, but You need to understand, this is not the same as mentoring. This is the way that Jesus designed us to operate in this world. That's what the local church does. We're an arena for discipleship. 
There's people encouraging you here, someone you're confessing your sin to here, someone who's saying, hey, I'm going to sustain you in this suffering here. Someone to encourage you is praying for that person you're trying to share the gospel with. We're all intricately um, just woven together to bring glory to God as a church. Discipleship. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And guys, this is ministry. You don't need an organization to do that. You don't need, uh, you know, some kind of like big plan. What you need is the word, the Holy Spirit, and the church, and people that you are going to commit to go love. That's what you need. Doesn't have to be big and flashy, doesn't have to be big and fancy, doesn't have to make headlines. Man, I want you to love that. We're so easily tricked into thinking that our ministry doesn't count unless people know about it. But we're called to do the slow, hidden work of kingdom love for the people around us. I pray you are already thinking of names that you probably need to text tonight and set up a coffee meeting with. But the essence of ministry, what we're called to, is to do good deeds, to proclaim good news, and open your heart to people. That's what we're trying to become, men and women who do that. And I'll be honest, I think probably one of the weakest area, for me definitely, but maybe for all of us, is this idea of prayer and evangelism. We're really good at distracting ourselves from the things that really matter. Another text, James 4, 17, just one verse. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This hurts. It's the idea of the sin of omission. Um, Theologians kind of delineate different types of sins. One of them is the sin of commission, right? You commit a sin, you do something that is forbidden by God. The sin of omission, we get most of its theology from James 4, 17, that this is something that you should be doing that you don't. And God cares about both. Now, this hurts, but I'm telling you, it is good for us to stare at our failures so that we might die with Christ and rise to new life in this area. The point here is not guilt. I want you to feel convicted. If there's people that you know the right thing to do is to open your life to them and proclaim the gospel to them, and you don't do it, then it's sin. I want you to feel that. But the point is not guilt, but grace. Grace to be forgiven for the times we failed for this, but empowered to do it now. So be honest with yourself. Ask people, hey, do you think I'm a person of prayer and evangelism? And be brutally honest with me. If you have a hard time being brutally honest with yourself, get someone who loves you that will tenderly tell you what's wrong with you. It's really good for us. Ministry, walking with Jesus, is not working really hard to hide your weakness and build a life that looks like you've got it all together. It's staring at the perfection and the holiness of Jesus, realizing where you fall, dying in that moment, repenting of your sin, and trusting him to build you back up. I'll be honest. This season of Collective, I feel like I've been like over 70 million with personal ministry. It feels like I'm failing in every way. And I think at first, when that was happening, I was getting uh, jealous of people who were doing well, one. A little guilty of like, I'm the guy that comes up here 65% of the time to teach. Why is it not working for me? But I've learned over the past couple weeks, even now, to say, 
Those are opportunities to die with Christ and to rise again with him. Jesus died for those moments where we feel the brokenness of the world, where I've messed things up or have sinned in some way or failed to do something I should have done or sinned in another way. So I want to invite you to do that tonight. The beauty of the gospel is you're not defined by your failures, but you get to kill them and rise again with Jesus. The point is grace, not guilt. Evangelism for the sake of evangelism is not going to sustain you. This is not willpower. It won't work. It's not just getting good at saying what we believe. It's a heart-level longing to see God glorified in the salvation of people that we actually know and that we actually love and that we actually break, um, our hearts break for. So I can't motivate you to do that. I'll be honest. I can't. I can't get you fired up for that. Maybe for a second. But the only way we're going to get there is if we open our hearts and say, all right, God, change me. Here's where I've failed in these areas. God, do I really love these people? God, am I ashamed of your gospel? Trusting that you are not met with condemnation, but you are met with grace. So, believe it or not, that's the introduction. So, here's my plan for tonight. Going to gospel us together, twofold. One, I want you to hear the gospel and love it. Two, use this as a tool to go proclaim it to somebody. Then, We're going to land the plane on Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. If you're in uh, my freshman community group about uh, a couple months ago, you remember me getting really excited about Mark chapter 2. See, Ethan and T.O. giving a little fist bump. That's right, in our group. Um, And maybe you don't remember this, I don't know. But Mark 2 is really important to us as a group. So I'm going to talk about that. Then I'm going to give you four practical takeaways. Then we're going to sing. All right, sound like a plan? I told you it was part workshop, too. So let's get there. Here we go. Um, I love this resource. Once again, if you want it, I'll give it to you. I think it's for free online. But it's a really, one of the best I've ever seen as far as uh, rem- like memorable, but also kind of encapsulating the entire gospel. So here it is. If you're a note, I should have put this on a slide. That's going to be too hard to make Joseph do that in a moment. Yeah, it's all right. I'll say it all really slow, okay? It's all, um, it's an, what's it called when the, wor- the letter of every word means something? acronym. It's an acronym. Here we go. It's gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. So I'm going to read each of these slowly if you want to take your notes, and then we're going to walk through them together, okay? So G, God's character. God's character. O, the offense of sin. The offense of sin. S, sufficiency of Christ. P, personal response. E, eternal urgency. L, life transformation. Now, if you didn't catch all those, don't worry. I'm going to go through them slowly, but I'll say them again. God's character, offense of sin, sufficiency of Christ, personal response, eternal urgency, life transformation, gospel. So these truths are obviously permeating the entire Bible, but these are things that we have to understand and love deeply if we're going to proclaim it unashamedly. Why would you share something with somebody that you don't actually believe changes you at all? And so I want you to see it in the Word. Um, and so this resource kind of walks us through this, but the passage that it uses, and I just want to go and read it in front of you, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I want to tell you this. If you're ever in a uh, gospel conversation and you want a place to go, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is an absolute 
Man, it is amazing. It's got the gospel in there all together. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to walk through G-O-S-P-E-L. All right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Did I put this on the screen, Joseph? My bad. All right. Turn in your Bibles or just listen. Here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, that's a beautiful passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's a great one to memorize if you don't have anything you're working on right now. But let's walk through this together. G, God's character. We need to understand that this God that we claim to worship is the creator God. We are not saying it's a God option. To proclaim the God of the Bible is to say that everything else that anybody else worships is not a true God. Creator God. We learn he's a loving God, verse 5 in Ephesians 2. He's a God full of grace. He is a God of holiness. And he is a God of wrath. In verse 3, you saw that. And so this God who created people is holy, he is loving and wrathful. He is gracious and merciful. He is good and terrifying, and people need to know this God. Here's the key, though. These attributes are not in competition with each other. We don't apologize for part of his attributes and say, God is wrathful, but uh, don't worry, though. He's also loving. God is holy, and in his perfection, he is who he is. However, because of sinful people, his attributes do set up gospel tension. He is loving, but he is holy, and he is wrathful. Brings us to O, the offense of sin. The human beings that God made, every single person who has ever lived or will live, all of you in this room, by nature and by choice are against God. Left to our own devices, we choose to worship his creation and not him. Primarily, that looks like worshiping ourselves. And then verse 1 in Ephesians 2 makes it clear. Because of that sin, it's not just we pick bad things. It's that we can't pick God. We're dead, unable to choose God. And we continue to choose the course of this world and choose the things that are killing us and separating us from God. We see that in verses 2 and 3. And this goes deep, the offense of sin. Not just our choices, but our very nature. We choose sin we want sin, and it's the worst thing in the universe, and it's killing us. The people in your life that do not know Jesus and are not following him, they are choosing this. Because of that, God's holiness, people deserve death. And apart from Christ, we're all on our way to death, separated from God for all eternity. And this is perhaps the hardest pill to swallow in our culture and maybe even on our campus Nobody wants to think this about themselves. 
We are conditioned to think that people are not that bad. Isn't God just overreacting? How could sin be that deep? But without understanding this bad news, the good news won't make sense. If we're just the product of our choices, then it's just choose a few right things to overcome all the bad that you've chosen. But if we're hopelessly dead in our sins, then we need God to act. Guys, feel this for the people that you love. It's not they picked the wrong worldview. They're dead in their sins. That's the bad news. S, the sufficiency of Christ. The tensions of God's character and our offense of sin and our salvation and his judgment get solved in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God. He's also fully man. He came to earth to meet the demands of God's perfect law, but instead of taking the blessing of that, he died the penalty that all of us deserve for our sin. Please don't miss that. He didn't do that as just an example. He did that to pay the penalty for the people who will come to God by faith. On the third day, praise the Lord, he rose again to conquer Satan, conquer sin, and conquer death. This is the good news of the gospel, that death and sin do not have the final word on people. We chose death, and so did Jesus. He just didn't deserve his. He chose to die in our place, not just for you, but in your place. And when he rose again, bringing salvation to every single person who will come to him by faith, which brings us to the P, personal response. We must respond to this news in faith, verse 8. God gives us faith, and we must respond in faith. And what faith looks like is repentance, turning from sin, trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Faith and repentance, they go together. And at that moment, when someone sees their sin, sees the sufficiency of Christ, and says, I'm turning from myself, I want to receive Christ and all that he is for me, at that moment, justified, forgiven, the weight of sin over in that moment, brought from death to life. However, it is not just a one-time decision and forget about it. You are justified to be set on a new path of following Jesus. E, eternal urgency. Here's the fact. There really is a heaven and there really is a hell. People will spend eternity in one of those two places. People who respond to the good news of the gospel with faith and repentance are going to be with God forever. People who never hear this or reject it will be in hell forever. Please stop and consider this. You're a Christian in this room who claims to know the Bible. How can we hear this and not open our mouths? It makes distracting ourselves with silly things and letting ministry events cloud our ability to love people seem trivial. Eternal urgency, L, life transformation. When you believe the gospel, your past is forgiven, but you aren't just brought to spiritually neutral. You are given Christ's righteousness, and he lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You are able to change and overcome sin and bear the fruit of life in God. Everything changes. The way you view the world, the way you view relationships, the way you view sex, the way you view money, power, etc., all of it shaped by the Spirit through his word. So, that's the gospel. 
Here it is in a paragraph if you want it. The gospel is the good news that the only true God, the just and gracious creator of the universe, has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin through his substitutionary death on the cross and to show his power over sin and death and the resurrection from the grave so that everyone who turns from their sin and themselves and trusts in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. That's the good news. We get to proclaim that in love. We get to let it change us to open our lives for people, honestly deal with people's tough questions, love them all the way through it, and the Spirit does the work. This is ministry. Listen, we're not going to see grace extend to more and more people if we think that the point of your life in ministry on campus is just to invite people here. It's not. Now, I pray the gospel's preached here every week. We've got to be people who proclaim this news. All right, Mark 2. Let me walk through this quickly. I just want, I love this story. It's just amazing encounter that Jesus has. I'm going to kind of read a little bit, talk you all the way through it, and then I'll give you four takeaways, and we'll be done for the night. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So what we have right now is the word is getting out that Jesus was here. Verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So imagine the scene. It's packed and there isn't any room. A crowd is really forming. Jesus is preaching, showing us once again the importance of the preached word. But look what happens, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. I love that they are nameless in this story. The point of personal ministry is to not get credit or take glory for what God does. So we have these people bringing someone in, and then we have the issue. We have a paralytic, someone who can't walk, and he has four men carrying him. It's the issue. Then we have the Savior, the nameless people who clearly care about this man and the broken situation they find themselves in is there's this man who was paralyzed. What is going to happen? Verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Don't you love this? They were hit with the obstacle. They're like, we got to get you to Jesus, friend. Let's go. I heard he's in this room. Ah, man, too much crowd. Can't get in the door. I know. We're taking the roof off. Don't you love this? Don't you want friends like that? They're just like, they didn't think, oh, man, we'll come back at the next preaching circuit, or maybe let's just like hope that maybe Jesus can like, you know, heard that he can read thoughts and hearts. Maybe he'll hear that we're out here. No, no, no. They're like, you know what? We've got to get our friend to Jesus. Looks like the only option is we take this roof off. Man, I love that. Okay, verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus responds to faith every time. Verse six. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. But don't you love this at first that they were questioning this in their hearts. They were not understanding what they were about to see. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, man, I love him. Look at this. Perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves. So he's hearing their heart, which is just amazing. Said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? If you imagine this, the roof has come off. He comes down. He sees faith. Son, your sins are forgiven. These guys over here in their hearts are like, only God can do that. He looks at him, 
Why are you questioning these things in your hearts? Which is easier, verse 9, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Good question, right? Putting it on them. All right, guys, what do you think is easier? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus pierces through their doubts, unleashes his power, and shows this incredible scene for us to not just enjoy, but to be inspired by. So let's ask the question, how does this help us in evangelism? A few things. You need to be okay with being nameless. The point of your evangelism is not to be the one who led people to Christ. It's to see God glorified in their salvation. Next, please get this. Care enough about your lost friend to carry them to Jesus. You imagine if these guys were just having a bad day and didn't really believe that Jesus could do anything. What did they do? They picked up this man and brought him to the Savior. Meet obstacles with a tear-the-roof-off kind of faith. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my doubt and ashamedness of the gospel, when I'm in gospel conversations, I'm kind of relieved whenever the, go- the conversation goes a different way. It's easier. It's like, oh, great, an obstacle. <laughs> I don't have to bring this up. Not these guys. They're hit with the obstacle. They're like, roof's coming off. Whatever it takes to get my friend that we care about to Jesus. Let's get that type of tenacious grit in our souls and our love for people. Don't get relieved whenever you get an obstacle as a way out. Tear the roof off. Now, that might mean awkward conversation. The roof you might have to tear off tonight is text that person and say, hey, I know you know I'm a Christian, and I'm sorry I've never told you about the gospel. Can we get coffee this week? That might be it. But don't get met with the crowd, the obstacle, and think, okay, good. Don't have to right now. Also know that Jesus can forgive and heal. Even if he doesn't bring physical healing now, he will one day. And these miracles are meant to embolden us to trust Jesus' power enough to get people to him. Think of the lost people in your life and ask honestly, do you believe Jesus can save them? Do you believe it? If you believe it, you'll speak. You'll carry him to Jesus. Four takeaways, and they all start with R, okay? Number one, repent. Repent of not acting in accordance to what you believe. Repent from not taking God's character seriously. Repent from not seeing sin as a big deal. Repent from our lack of confidence in Christ's sufficiency. Repent from our lack of eternal urgency. Repent from all the ways that our lives don't match our confession. And repent from letting the stupor and distraction of life keep us from the mission. Don't see this as the wrong way to go in your life. See this for what it is. It is choosing self over Christ. And in that repentance, receive the grace of Jesus. Listen to me. You're forgiven, there's no condemnation, and you're empowered to go. Number two, resolve. Resolve to pray. Who are the people in your life? Those who God is calling you to right now. And then pray like crazy. Be faithful in their lives and keep praying. But don't just pray, pray and act. What does that look like? Serve them, love them, 
and proclaim the gospel to them. A tool that's been helpful for me, I think for a few others, has been something called a gospel appointment. Now, please don't ask somebody if they would like to go on a gospel appointment with you, okay? But it's a helpful paradigm to think, what is the point of you meeting with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? And it's just three things. Number one, hear their story. Number two, share your story. Number three, share God's story. Let's be the type of people you can't run into collective without leaving with someone telling you about Jesus. Man, I want that for my life. Of course, there's a bunch of other practical tools that we can share if you want that. If God's stirring in you to become this type of man or become this type of woman, please come find me afterwards. We'd love to talk. Number three, remember. Remember that Jesus is with you always, that the point of your life is glorifying God, not to get the results, and that a life lived like this really is the best life. And number four, Van, you want to make your way back up, get ready and lead us. Run. So repent, resolve, remember, and run. Write down those names and run into their life, trusting the Lord to work and move. And don't just run, run together. Let's make our gatherings, and not just on Tuesday night, any of our friend hangouts, anything we're at, let them become arenas for ministry. Someone else welcomes, someone else shares the gospel, someone prays with them, someone else follows up. This place just becomes an unignorable place of love of Christ. All of us praying, all of us sharing stories of how God is working as we walk and run forward together. I'm going to leave you with this verse before we sing. 2 Timothy 4, 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So know the truth rightly, think rightly, stay faithful in suffering, do whatever God has called you to do in ministry with the people he has placed in your life, and proclaim the good news of the gospel with the aim to persuade them toward Christ. Let's stand and sing.